You are listening to the Brady Farkas Show podcast. Thanks to Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber. You can always listen to the show live weekdays from 5.30 to 7 p.m. on WDEV AM and FM and streaming at WDEVradio.com. You can text in your thoughts 24-7 at 802-585-3026. That's 802-585-3026. The following is a presentation from WDEV Radio. Fast paced. Let me stop you right there. This will always be a pro Cam Newton show. Opinionated. Hey, Tatum is phenomenal, but the end of game execution in the NBA is just laughable. To the point. I'm already tired of this storyline. This guy's a future Patriot. This quarterback's a future Patriot. And that quarterback's a future Patriot. Are we really going to link everybody to the Pats all offseason? Because I, I have zero interest in that. Thank you. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome in on a Tuesday right here. The Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. We are jam-packed as always. Great stuff to get to. Former UVM men's basketball coach Tom Brennan is going to join us at about 540. Some notes on the Red Sox. Plenty on Deshaun Watson, Gerard Mayo, Josh McDaniels. We got a lot of stuff to get to. 802-585-3026. 802-585-3026. That is the number you can reach in and uh, text in to the show. Guys, no time to waste as usual. 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. And here we go. The opening thoughts on the Brady Farka Show brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center with locations in Middlesex, St. Albans, Swanton, Enosburg, and Derby, and online at sticksandstuff.com. All right, I, I did not think this was going to happen. A couple of weeks ago, I didn't think it was going to happen. I've said multiple times I don't think it should happen, but we are on the verge of it happening. Josh McDaniels may be on his way out of New England and on his way to Philadelphia. Dan Graziano of ESPN talking about McDaniels and the possibility that he takes the job as the next head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles. There's a lot of uh, strong feeling toward hiring him in the Eagles organization. They're not there yet. There are concerns with Josh McDaniels, the, the bad experience in Denver years ago, the experience with the Colts where he backed out on them at the end, uh, and then the fact that Bill Belichick assistants haven't had great success in head coaching roles when they've left that organization, McDaniels included. So there are some holdups, but it does seem that the Eagles are interested in McDaniels, and you know, if you were to handicap it right now, you'd probably make him the leader for that job. That could be something that gets resolved one way or the other here in the next couple of days. Okay, I've said multiple times I wouldn't hire McDaniels, so let's leave that over there. I'm going to ask the text line, 802-585-3026, what makes Josh McDaniels an intriguing candidate? I got all kinds of reasons why I wouldn't hire him, but what makes McDaniels an intriguing candidate? Let's put the positive spin on this from the Philadelphia side. I do believe that Josh McDaniels is intriguing to Philly because he has shown the ability to construct an offense that can work to an individual quarterback's strength. The Eagles have two quarterbacks right now, Carson Wentz and Jalen Hurts. Both play different styles. Wentz is certainly, he has mobility and athleticism, but he's more of a traditional drop-back passer. Hurts also can throw from the pocket, but he is a weapon in the run game at this point. McDaniels has worked with 
Tom Brady, has worked with Matt Castle, has worked with Jacoby Brissett, a guy who is a drop-back traditional quarterback. And he has worked with uh, Cam Newton, and he has worked with um, Tim Tebow in Denver, and he's worked with Jimmy Garoppolo, who has some mobility in the rollout type stuff. So McDaniels has been able to help and improve a lot of quarterbacks and find an offense that can suit them. And as the Eagles have two very different quarterbacks, and they don't know which one is going to win out, the ability to have a, a coach who can adjust to that quarterback would be a good thing to have. So I think that's reason number one why McDaniels is an intriguing candidate in Philly. Off that point, we we crush McDaniels for his record without Brady, and his record and his productivity without Brady are not very good. His actual win-loss record without Tom Brady is not very good. But, okay, you might not like what Cam did this year, but Josh McDaniels helped will that offense to a seven-win team, and that offense was probably not good enough to win seven games. So the offense outkicked its coverage. You saw Jimmy Garoppolo play well in New England, well enough to the point that San Francisco traded for him and then made him their starter, and Jimmy Garoppolo took the 49ers to a Super Bowl. Josh McDaniels has a hand in the development of Jimmy Garoppolo to the point where another team wanted to acquire him and then paid him a bunch of money and then went to the Super Bowl with him. McDaniels has a hand in that. Jacoby Brissett played well enough in New England and developed well enough under Josh McDaniels that the Colts traded a former first-round pick in Philip Dorsett for him and then gave Brissett the keys after Andrew Luck retired. So, I mean, there's something to be said for McDaniels' ability to work with quarterbacks. We don't love what we saw with Cam this year. Imagine how much worse it might have been if McDaniels had not been there. And then look at Garoppolo, look at Brissett, and look at what... And by the way, the team went 11-5 with Matt Castle under McDaniels. So he has shown the ability to make multiple quarterbacks work in a coordinator's role. One other thing that I think... You know, you see a lot of reports about the Eagles' pursuit of Josh McDaniels. There's a report out there that McDaniels would like a lot of power in the organization, and he wanted a lot of power with the Colts, and he would want power with the Browns or the Panthers or these other teams that he's interviewed with in the past. I don't buy it. I, I just don't think that right now Josh McDaniels has the leverage or has the kind of clout to go in and demand things. That I just don't believe that. I really actually think it's the other way. I think, this is totally my opinion, this is not a report, but I actually think that there's a part of Josh McDaniels that is appealing because I think he's going to be a guy who doesn't give a lot of pushback right now. It has to be part of it. Josh McDaniels sees the writing on the wall. He went from interview, he's interviewed with like half the league at this point. He's interviewed with the Colts, the Browns, the Chargers, the Rams, the 49ers, the Packers. I mean, he's interviewed with like half the league at this point. And he only got one call this offseason. I think he knows he's kind of at the end of his hiring rope here. He's no longer the hot candidate. So, while maybe two years ago he was in a position to demand the world because he was that guy, he's not that guy right now. I think that he's a guy who knows he's at the end of the hiring, you know, the desirable coaching candidate list. He's a guy who 
is desperate to get a second chance as a head coach. He told you at the end of the year, I would love to be a head coach again. He's desperate to get back in. He's at the end of his rope as a chance to be a great candidate. The, the writing on the wall for the Patriots isn't particularly good right now, so it's not like I can sit here and say with great conviction, oh, he's going to reboost his stock next season because I don't think he's going to reboost his stock next season. The longer he stays in New England, the next couple of years have a chance to look worse. And then he's going to be 50. He's 44 right now. Like At some point, you stop being the young, hot candidate, and I think McDaniels is there. While the reports around McDaniels wants power, I I disagree. I think McDaniels is going to be a guy who comes in just grateful to have the job and plays ball with ownership and plays ball with management, at least for a little while. There's going to be coaches that get hired that know they have clout and know they're a stud, and they can come in and call the shots. Urban Meyer's coming in to call the shots. He comes in with clout in Jacksonville. Robert Salah is going to come in with some clout in New York based on who he is and what his personality is and that he's at the top of lists. Josh McDaniels doesn't have that. I think Josh McDaniels comes into Philly if he gets the job as a little bit more of a pushover than he definitely would have been three years ago and he definitely would have been last year. He's just no longer he's just no longer hot right now. And I think Philly might think they can push him around to a degree and kind of get him to act in accordance with with what they want. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Coming up at about 6 o'clock, I'll tell you what's the one thing McDaniels can't do if he does go to Philly. The one thing McDaniels can't do comes up at about 6 o'clock. But coming up next, the best 15 minutes of the week, former UVM men's basketball coach Tom Brennan. He's going to sit down with me, and he's going to do it for probably 15 minutes. It is the best 15 minutes of the week. TB going to join me next right here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. He led Vermont to its greatest win in program history. Oh, my goodness! Sorrenty hit that one from the parking lot! He's the architect of the Catamounts basketball program. Vance Jennings, UVM. And he's with us now. It's time for our weekly talk with former UVM basketball coach Tom Brennan on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back to the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Everybody, pull up a chair because it is time for the best 15 minutes of the week. Every single Tuesday here at, you know, 540-ish, we talk with our guy, former UVM men's basketball coach, Tom Brennan. Took him to the NCAA tournament a couple of times. Architected the biggest win in school history. Oh, also coach of the year a couple of times inside the America East. TB, man, thanks for being with us. How are you? I am wonderful, my boy. Wonderful. How are you? Well, I'm very, very good, and I'm very happy for you. I hear you are uh, you're going big time again here. <laughs> I keep every year. I think. Well, you know, last year was it. That was it. But uh, fortunately, uh, yeah, I got a I got a call from uh, SiriusXM the other day, and uh, uh, they've given me a Sunday show. So every Sunday morning on Channel 84, I'm going to be on from nine to twelve. Uh, with Barrett Sully, and then uh, I'll be filling in different times during the week, which I, which I really enjoy. And every year that has turned out to be a little more 
than I thought it would be when I started. So, uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm excited about it. I'm really, uh, I'm really pumped, man. When you're an old man like me, you need those jolts every once in a while to keep you going. Well, how long until? How, how long do we have to? Uh, you know, how much credit do I have to build up before I start asking you to? Uh, you know, drop my name so I can be a fill-in host with you. <laughs> I'll do my very best. You know, it has always been one of my theories to take care of my people. That is for sure. So, uh, but I, let me say this going in. I don't have as much clout as one might expect. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, good weekend for the Catamounts, huh? They sweep Maine, oh, a nice 26 let you, po- Let me just say this before we get started. When you beat somebody by 40 on one weekend and then hold somebody to 30 on another weekend, that is, uh, uh, you're ready. You got it going. Let me ask you this, and and I know you're a nice guy. You don't want to bash another program, but why can Maine never figure it out? Like what what's what is so wrong there that they can never even be in the conversation? I think the one thing that I will say, and not following it that closely, but I know when Bobby Walsh was there, um, they just had this uh, this mass exodus, Brady. It's unbelievable. Now, of course, we live in that world now. You know, you got to understand it. We do. Uh, guys will leave uh, because you didn't wear the right color uniform, so uh, or you didn't run enough place for them, or whatever it might be, and uh, uh, and they really were hurt by that. They had a lot of guys that left and went to better programs. Now I can't say it was Brady Farkas or it was Tom Brennan or it was, but I know they had good players that I had seen in here uh, that eventually left. And at a place like Maine, you know that can't that can't happen too too much without it without it really affecting you, and. Um, and so I think that's that's been a big problem. But I, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I want to talk to you about that. Like, the, uh, Saturday, you're thinking, my God, is this is this a, uh, really, are they Division I? Yeah. Can they be Division One? You know? And then on Sunday, now they were, they were significantly better. I mean, they weren't any good, but they were significantly better. But this team has beaten New Hampshire, right? They beat somebody else. Uh, and, and I heard you talking this when I was uh, listening to your show, um, uh, and it's true uh, for me, uh, for me, about in the moment. You were talking about uh, quarterbacks or somebody yeah. in the moment, you know, right? And uh, and then I so I was thinking about that, and then I I, I thought to myself, well, uh, that's a that's a fair observation, you know. Yeah, uh, you can't get caught up in the moment, uh, not not if you're going to be a, a realistic and objective judge about what you're trying to measure, but. As a coach, that's all you do is get caught up in the moment because every game is the one that's important, just that one, you know. And uh, and so uh, I I think that um, I I think I'm I'm caught up in the moment for this team, man. I think I think they're really really good, and 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 I think one of the reasons I think they're foremost is because I just was scratching my head uh, on the on the first weekend and had really didn't know how good Davis and uh, Murphy were or oh, I won't even say good I mean they're both good but but important how important they were to our team Tom Brennan former UVM men's basketball coach with us every single Tuesday at this time right here on the Brady Farkas show on WDEV AM and FM and WDEV radio.com you know I, I want to go back to that that main discussion because I think I'm going to piggyback on this in a little while too was there ever a program that you had in the league whether it was the current America East or the former America East that you just thought like you just can't win there, and, it, and I, th- there could be any number of factors from the location to the administration, scholarships, etc. But did you ever look at a program and say, "Man, you just can't win there"? Yeah, and then I would drive into the office every day. <laughs> <laughs> For a while, that was you, huh? Yes, exactly, it was me. 
and 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 I love you know you know this. Nobody loves Vermont more than me. Nobody loves has loved being the coach more than me. But that was a that was a, a give and take. You know, there was a lot of yin and yang there. I mean, I never got fired, but by the same token, uh, I never had anybody like rush up to me and say, "All right, listen, man, we we got a lot of potential here. We really do. What do we have to do to uh, realize that?" And I didn't, and I, I, no, that wasn't going to happen. So I thought to myself, just get it a little bit better. Just get it a little bit better, and you'll be able to get out. People will see what a tough job it was, and uh, it is, and uh, and then you can you can get a, get a job, a good job, uh, or a better job. And um, and that was really my goal when I took the job, honest to God. And uh, and then you know, then uh, like I said, I just wanted to run through Vermont, and instead Vermont ran through me. Yeah. You know, then we got a little better, and then we got a little better. And people were kind to me. They weren't. They weren't. They, they weren't saying, "Oh, look, we got Dean Smith here, so we're going to give him everything he needs to be successful." But no one ever said, "You better, you better get going, or you're going to get fired." Nobody ever, ever, ever said that. So I, I always felt like um, uh, if you just hang in there long enough, then good things will happen. I don't know why. I didn't know why they would, honest to God. But I just thought, you know, I was. Well, he's been a lucky guy, and uh, you know, and I love doing this, and I was always going to be enthusiastic. And so let's see, let's see, uh, let's see if we can make it good. And, and, uh, and then we got lucky, to be honest. You know, <laughs> honest. I, I I think that's a really interesting you know conversation, not even just about coaching or basketball, about life, like you know, just in how your goals change. Because when I first came here, I was talking to my mentors my, when I first came to Vermont, and they were like, "Hey, you got to put in two years, and then you can leave." And I was like. The, the minute I got here, I was like, okay, I'm going to work as hard as I can for those two years, and the countdown has started. And I had, I've had, i had multiple chances to leave, some of which were better than others, and I have always stayed. And at some point, your goals just changed. And I don't know when that happened for you, but I think you just realize that when you go to a place and you start looking for the, the other side, maybe the grass isn't always greener. Right, right. And you see, in our case, uh, Brady was interesting and unique, really, because um, – not as Giannini said, who gets to have a 16-year window of opportunity to be successful? Hmm. <laughs> now yeah. it wasn't that it wasn't that cut and dried exactly. You know, we were getting better, and and I was making inroads throughout the community and all that. And then and then of course the radio started. And once the radio started, everything changed. And the only reason I'm convinced uh, that they let me or or didn't fight me on the radio was that I wasn't making any money. You know, and so people, you know, and I'd get in the office by nine o'clock, and 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 I'd do what I had to do, you know. And then we were getting better, and then and and more and more people became interested because of the radio, and um, so that all tied in. And and the next thing you know, I'm saying, yeah, yeah, like you said, man, there's only fifty states, and I just don't want to. So the radio. Where am I going? Oh, I want to go to Purdue. No, no, I don't think so. I think Purdue would love to come here. So the radio gig, you do it with Corm, Corm and the coach. Corm is my boss here at WDEV. Tell me something about my new boss and your old partner that I can have some dirt on him. Well, I, I, the one thing I will say is uh, is that, you know, and our show was really, it was kind of raucous. And when you look back on it, uh, it it's hard to imagine that, um, uh, you know, that I got away with a lot of things I got away with. And there's nothing... Nothing mean spirited, you know. I didn't go after people much, but uh, very rarely. But but just uh, you know, just wise guy stuff, you know. And I just and and uh, you know, I'd walk out of the studio at nine o'clock, break, and Lynn would call me and she'd say, "Well, what are you? Well, you know, you're done now, right? You're done. You know, there's no way you're making this." <laughs> but 
I said, what the hell? Wasn't that bad? What you? you know, so, but we were always trying to go to the edge, and, and Corm, you know, Corm never never said to me, you got to stop. you got to stop. But I do think the one thing that's, that's interesting, uh, I, I said to my wife, uh, you know what? I was in Corm 15 years. We, we never had a, never had an argument. Never had a blow, a, you know, knock down, drag out argument. Never. Mm. And she said, yeah, that's because he always let you do whatever you want to do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Uh, but I, I tell you what, he, I, I will say this about him, a hard worker. And I'm, I'm uh, you know, I'm thrilled that he took on this challenge. I'm not exactly, I don't exactly know why, but I know he loves to compete and I know he loves to win. And I know, he, you know, so this is a big deal for him and it's his baby. And, uh, uh, I know he's thrilled, thrilled to death to have you with him. That's a big deal. And um, and for you, uh, given the mindset that you and I were just talking about, you talk about an institution, man. You are part of an institution in Vermont, and that's always neat. And I always felt that way too. Uh, you know, at the being at the state university, man, you're you're at the you're you're it, the University of Vermont. It's it. And uh, and uh, WDV, man, that is a world class history. If you think of Vermont, you, you think of it. Well, now it feels great to be here, and everybody's been great to me. And, you know, you, you feel that history kind of permeating throughout the building. Tom Brennan with us here. And the you can see it. Yeah, oh, you yeah. can see it because it's so old. Yeah, you can see But you know what? There's a lot of new equipment in here. Like, it's not, uh, you know, you, you, everybody has this impression, like, oh, that stuff's from, like, the 30s. No, this stuff is, is cutting edge that I'm talking to you on. So Yeah, the building's from the 30s. That's what it, I'm talking about. The building might be old, but it's got a, a quaintness to it. It's got a quaintness yeah, to it. there you go. That's so, the right word. Um, Tom Brennan with us here on the Brady Farkas Show, WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. You know, let me let me pivot here, a complete 180. Um I don't know if you saw the post game of the Sunday game. Uh, Justin Missoula, twenty three points, career high for him. It really took an emotional turn in the post game, in which he said that he had lost his dad and he wished his dad could have seen um, his career high. And he and he kind of you know he didn't break down, but he got very emotional. Had to kind of stop and start the answer. And when you have a player that is 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 carrying around grief like that, what do you do as a coach to to I don't know help them move forward? Well, let me take it a step further. Uh, I lost my father in an automobile accident. Terrible, mm. terrible, terrible. And it was uh, February 4th of 84, and I was coaching at Yale. And, uh, and then, of course, we played weekends, and uh, uh, so we had played Penn uh, the night on Friday night on the night that the accident happened. And, um, and you know, it, it was just like boom, boom. And, you know, I don't know if I told you this, man. I got, I got stories for you. You know who my... You know who my mentor was when I was uh, coaching at Yale? Uh, Jeffrey, no. Jeffrey Gloria. Oh, my God. Yeah. The, the yeah. Eagles owner? No, the bad one. <laughs> 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 the, the Marlins owner. Oh, 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 Jeffrey Lurie. Oh, what am I? Oh, who am I? Th- oh, Jeffrey Lurie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, who am I thinking of that's yeah, the Eagles owner? Lurie oh. is the Eagles, i.e. Loria was the Marlins, I.A. Oh and, yes, uh, and he and he, you know what I think it was, it was something about him was his grandson to get in or his nephew or something. So he was <laughs> he plied me with gifts. You know, he bought the program a car and uh, and uh, he was just very very. That very doesn't sound with. legal buying the program a car, <laughs> by the way. I think <laughs> I think we had a wonderful compliance. Yeah. Uh, thing. <laughs> now, what was I forget. So you got to stay with me. You got to reel me in. 
Uh, we were talking I, oh, about. I'm sorry. We were talking about dad. Justin Missoula yeah, and everything. So yeah. He, he sent a car for me. So anyway, on Friday night, uh, the accident happened. So I, this was in 2004. So we didn't have cell phones or whatever. So I found out on Saturday morning, and it was well, I was just obviously you can't even imagine. And uh, I talked to my mother, who was in real bad shape herself, and she was in the hospital. And, and uh, and and it was in Pennsylvania, and I said, I just want you to know that I'm on my way. And, and she said, uh, No, 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 you you need to stay and coach that game. And it's it seems so ridiculous now, Brady, so ridiculous. I said, Mom, you know, I can't, no, I can't coach the game. She said, You know, that's exactly what he would have wanted. He would not. What are you going to do here? You can't do anything for me. Stay with your kids, coach the game, and uh, and I did. And we lost by two. And you know who beat us at the buzzer? Craig Robinson. Hmm. How about that? And so, anyway, uh, so you talk about grief. I mean, to this moment, if I if I think about it now, and I was thirty years ago. Uh, so, and especially when you're that young, I, I uh, just the the idea of comfort. You know, that's all you want to do. Is you want to be comfortable, uh, make them comfortable, and be a good listener. Just be a good listener, and you know, don't offer any big sage advice because everybody goes through it differently. Everybody grieves differently. Um, but uh, it was just, uh, you know, heartwarming that uh, that he was able to to have a big game in those in those circumstances. And and you know, Gray, what happens? What sucks about all this is that I can't go see anybody like him. I don't know him that well. By yeah. now, he was a junior in a regular year. I'd have been out to lunch with him. I'd have been at practice with him. I'd have been in the office, you know, shooting the breeze with him. You know, getting to know those kids and. And my only job now is is to be totally positive. You know, I don't they have a bad game. They make a bad play. That ain't my area. They got a lot of guys over here. All I am is their their happy uncle. And uh, and so I, I love doing that. And and that has been stolen from me. It really yeah. has. And I it's very very hard. Well, the program I'm sure definitely misses uh, having you around as well. And hopefully we can all get back to some normalcy here soon. Catamounts, what is normal is that the Catamounts are playing well. They've won five straight now uh, inside America East play. So every single Tuesday at this time, former Catamount head coach took him to the tournament. Coach of the year in the America East Conference. And one of our good friends, Tom Brennan, is with us every Tuesday again at this time. TB, we'll do it again next week. I look forward to it, my boy. Always a pleasure. You keep grinding. I will. Thank you very much, Coach. Tom Brennan with us every single week. Any thoughts in the interview? 585-3026, 585-3026. I got a question. So, yeah, he mentions the Corm and the Coach radio show, which he and, and my boss now, Corm, helped make popular. I never heard it, right? I wasn't here. I wasn't, you know, of that age. Somebody tell me something about the Corm and the Coach show because I've heard, you know, how good it was. I know it won a bunch of awards, but I want to hear from the people. So that way I can go downstairs to my boss tomorrow and tell him what you people thought about his show. And I, I, I can only imagine what Coach Brennan was like at, you know, 6 in the morning. I mean, just Coach Brennan is one of my favorite people to talk to. So if you listen to the show, you can get the text in because I'd love to hear what people are saying. So I can go to the boss tomorrow and say, hey, a lot of people complimenting your show or, hey, boss, you know, people thought Brennan was the guy carrying you. I, you know, you can give your take, 802 585 3026. We'll get to our takeaways from the Tom Brennan interview on the other side of the CBS National News Update. But when we come back, the one thing Josh McDaniels cannot do if he's going to take the Philadelphia Eagles job. That's next on the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. <laughs> 
You're listening to the Brady Farkas Show podcast brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center with locations in Middlesex, St. Albans, Swanton, Enosburg, and Derby, and online always at sticksandstuff.com. This is Freddie Coleman of ESPN, and you're listening to Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back, Brady Farkas Show, right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. You can text in at 802 585 3026. Also, remember, if you ever miss any of the show, you can subscribe to us on uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or just on our website. It's all thanks to Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber. Some breaking news, not on the sports front here, but some breaking news comes from NECN. Vermont Governor Phil Scott is in quarantine after a possible exposure to COVID-19. The governor's office said today that a contractor involved in the coronavirus briefings, which we aired on Friday and today, so a, a contractor involved in Friday's press briefing and today's had tested positive. Scott the uh, Vermont Department of Health Commissioner Mark Levine and other administration officials are quarantining and will be tested. There will be more to come, so you're going to want to check back in to the morning news service tomorrow with Lee Cattell and Rick Sangari and the crew on that. So we certainly wish uh, the state officials who are quarantining and the affected contractor our best as well. We continue on with the sports show right here on WDEV, and Josh McDaniels right now looks like he very well may be the favorite for the Philadelphia Eagles head coaching job. McDaniels has been with the Patriots for a long time, left for a bit at the outset, you know, 2009. He takes the job in Denver as the head coach, gets fired in 2010, goes to St. Louis, and comes back. Um, he's, been in, he's been in New England for like 15 years. He's been here for a long time. He's seen a lot of success and a lot of Super Bowls. If he's going to take the Philadelphia Eagles head coaching job, the one thing that he cannot do is take Patriots staffers with him. That is off limits for McDaniels. All you have to do is go back and watch the documentary that HBO did on Bill Belichick and Nick Saban. It was called The Art of Coaching. Belichick and Saban talked about coaches who poach their staffs once they leave. They are not okay with it. Belichick said in the documentary, and I quote, I'm happy for the people who've worked hard for me to get opportunities. I want to see them build their own program. When they try to tear down our program, that's kind of where the line I feel gets crossed. If Josh McDaniels takes the job in Philly, he cannot take any Patriot staffers with him. This is a major no-no for Belichick. And McDaniels should respect the Patriots enough and respect Belichick enough to honor this policy. You know, it's not obviously not a written rule, but should honor Belichick's feelings on this. And he should feel indebted enough to the organization. Robert Kraft made McDaniels the highest paid offensive coordinator in the entire league. Belichick brought him back. After he left for the Broncos and Rams, after he'd been fired in Denver, Belichick gave him a chance to revive his career by coming back here. Even after McDaniels jetted out the door to go take the Colts job and then backed out, Belichick welcomed him back and then fill his spot with somebody else. And everything McDaniels has, he owes to the New England Patriots. The proximity and the ability to work with Tom Brady 
that ability to coach Brady has opened up every door McDaniels has ever had, and he needs to respect that. Now, I'm not saying McDaniels needs to love Belichick, right? I, I can see there being some deep resentment. Just remember the fact that after McDaniels came back after turning down the Colts job, the Patriots said that they were going to open up the coaching world to McDaniels and Belichick was going to teach him all the tricks of the trade. And I'm like, what has he been doing for the last 10 years? I mean, so there isn't even a chance that Belichick stunted the growth of McDaniels or kept him in the dark about various things. You know, draft prep, handling free agents, contracts, all of those things might not have been around or might not have been imparted to McDaniels. So I could see McDaniels having some resentment to, Mc, to Belichick for that. But by and large, the good that Belichick and the good that the organization has done and the good that the Crafts have done for McDaniels, that's got to way outweigh, vastly outweigh any negative that there might have been there around kind of what was at one point hidden from McDaniels. So if McDaniels gets the job in Philly, he needs to respect the Patriots and he needs to respect Belichick enough to leave the staff alone. Dean in South Burlington says, Brady, is there anybody left on the Pats coaching staff except for Bill Belichick's son? Well, Gerard Mayo is still there, and that's going to bring us into our next point. Gerard Mayo, who's the current linebackers coach for the Patriots, he also has interviewed for the Philadelphia Eagles job. And it doesn't look like he's a finalist, right? We haven't heard his name at the level we've heard McDaniels, but he is a hot coaching candidate. He's 34 years old. He's young, so maybe too young at this point to get a head coaching job. He's only been coaching for two years. Tom Curran of NBC Sports Boston put out a great podcast the other day, and he says if you look around the NFL, former players aren't getting a whole lot of good opportunity to become head coaches, and Curran wants to know why. Here's Tom Curran on Gerard Mayo. That when we talk talk about guys having the opportunity to become head coaches and we wonder why there's not as much diversity on the sidelines that reflects the number of players on the field who are black, 70%. Maybe teams should open their minds a little bit more to the idea that just because somebody doesn't start as a quality control assistant and then move on to secondary or linebackers coach by the time they're 25 and then do some special teams work from 27 to 28, maybe playing the game and being a leader and understanding all the things that you have to understand within your team to be a leader on a great team might be even more more practical experience. Okay, this is loaded. 802-585-3026. Our, our former players not getting enough of an opportunity. And he mentioned race, but just in general, are former players not getting an opportunity, enough of an opportunity to become NFL head coaches? And does being a former player, should that outweigh some of these guys who have grown up through, quote, the system and have kind of matriculated through the system? 802-585-3026. Tom Curran historically is wrong. There have been a number of former NFL players that have gotten head coaching jobs. Jack Del Rio, Herm Edwards, Art Shell, who's a Hall of Famer, Tony Dungy, Bill Cower, Dan Reeves. I mean, and the list goes on. There's plenty of former players who have gotten head coaching jobs. So then I kind of looked at it. Well, what about now? 
is Tom Curran right that now there aren't a lot of former players? This year, in 2020, the season, there were nine professional former players as NFL head coaches. Nine. Now, some of them got out very early, and some of them never even made the NFL. They played in some offshoot league. But there were nine players who played professionally. I think five is what I would say had a meaningful career. Three years or more. Frank Reich, Doug Peterson, Anthony Lynn, Ron Rivera, Mike Vrabel, Doug Marone. That's actually, let's see, one, two, three, four. That's actually six. Six of the nine had meaningful careers, three years or more. So six of 32 NFL head coaches had meaningful NFL careers. Okay, so again, what do we think about former NFL players getting jobs and how does it relate to Gerard Mayo? I've thought a lot about this. I think now when you see guys getting hired, the game has gotten so analytically based. When guys get hired, people are looking for smart people. And I'm not saying that that former players aren't smart, so don't misinterpret it. But smart people that have spent years studying and spent years learning and years being tutored and who understand the analytics, it's not again to say players are dumb. But players spent years studying different things. So when a 35-year-old retires from the NFL, they're behind a 35-year-old who has spent 10 years coaching and studying all of this stuff. They just are because the coaches are studying different things than the players. So I think that's first and foremost why now you're seeing some of these you know, computer guys who come up at, at 21 and just get on the sideline somewhere getting more opportunities than former players. I also think now you're going to just start seeing a lot of guys looking for former quarterbacks to be head coaches, right? We have that with Frank Reich and Doug Peterson, who we had. So we have former quarterbacks who are coaches. But I think as you move forward, the former players who are getting consistent shots are going to be former quarterbacks, okay? My, you know, Mike Vrabel is an exception. All positions can be leaders, right? All players can be leaders in any position, and they can be smart. But we associate the quarterback position with leadership. And if as a head coach, I've told you even that my biggest thing I want in a head coach is someone who owns the room, is someone who relates to people, who can converse with people, who can motivate people. And we associate the quarterback position with being able to do that. Gerard Mayo was a great player, and he was a captain for the Patriots as a linebacker. And if he gets a head job like Mike Vrabel, I think he'll be in the um, in the minority there. Quarterbacks we associate with leadership. It's the same reason why former catchers get major league manager jobs. Joe Torre, Mike Matheny, Mike Sosha, Scott Service, Brad Osmus. Like we consider catchers to be leaders on the field. They see the entire field in front of them. The entire game is is played out before their very eyes, the same as a quarterback. Catchers manage a pitching staff. They manage a million different skill sets and a million different personalities. And with that comes an ability to eventually manage the clubhouse. Well, a former quarterback manages the offensive line, manages the backs, the fullback, the tight ends, the receivers, guys from all different backgrounds, guys from all different pay grades, The quarterback is in charge of making all of that work, so we associate the quarterback with leadership. So I think quarterback will continue to be the preferred former position 
for future NFL head coaches. It's just, we see the same thing in the NBA, right? Like Patrick Ewing is a coach now at Georgetown, but he was a high-level coach in the NBA, and he wanted to be a head coach in the NBA. Point guards are the flavor for head coaching jobs in the league. Steve Nash, Earl Watson, Derek Fisher. Okay, like these guys who command a huddle, command a locker room, and make it work with various personalities. We assume the quarterback can do it because we've seen them do it in their career. We haven't seen it always from the left tackle or from the defensive back. We see the quarterback demonstrating leadership, and everybody talks about the quarterback, so it's more in our head. Gerard Mayo might be great, but he is behind the eight ball when it comes to these guys who have coached for 10 years studying what the league values now, and he's behind quarterbacks who are in that leadership position. I also think quarterbacks have the upper hand because we think that a quarterback has a degree of level-headedness. And what I mean by that is they have a level of calm about them. They have a level of awareness. Other positions in football, I mean, they are built on emotion. The defensive end is built on emotion. The defensive back is built on emotion. The wide receiver is built on emotion. And sometimes that emotion is not always a good thing for a head coach. If you are an emotional player and an emotional person, you may be an emotional coach and emotion is not always good. You have to be able to turn it off and on. And we think the quarterbacks can do that because that is in their job description to have a level of level-headedness. And then I think there's other smaller questions about guys like Mayo who weren't quarterbacks, I mean, or just players in general even, how are they going to build a staff, right? Like Sean McVay, Kyle Shanahan were on how many different staffs and they came in contact with how many different people? Well, Gerard Mayo didn't play for that many organizations and didn't meet that many coaches and he doesn't go to coaching symposiums and all that. He doesn't talk to other teams' coaches. So fair or unfair, I think how they're going to build a staff, you know, gets thought. I think this, I think also there's a degree of players understand their position. Do they understand all the other positions, fair or unfair? I think quarterback gets credit because, again, they got to know the whole offense. But the defensive end doesn't have to know what the running back is doing all the time. Or the DB doesn't have to know what the, you know, how the tight end. I mean, I think that one might be a little unfair, but I think it's something that has been a thought over the last several years. And, and by the way, we see, you know, Curran's point is that Mayo is qualified and he's getting passed over by these, you know, guys who start out as coaching interns. We do see this all the time in businesses, right? Guys that you think have a certain qualification based on experience get passed over frequently, like real tangible experience. Let me give you an example. I do a podcast with Doug Flutie. Okay, Doug Flutie has just gotten a job at a bigger entity. I can't say what it is yet, but he's gotten a job at a bigger entity than our podcast was, and it's great for him. I have been doing radio for seven years now. It doesn't mean that I'm great at it. It just means that I am experienced at it. I have had tangible experience, and I have been on the air for seven years and grown. Doug Flutie has not been on the air for seven years, and he has never hosted a radio show. But former players get jobs on radio shows. Doug Flutie will always get the job he got before I get that job because of who he is. His name, his experience, people will value that even though I have the tangible experience you think might make me a better fit as a radio host 
Flutie comes in with, with with experience, and that's I'm happy for him. It's just an example. But we see it all the time where qualified people who have experience get passed over. So I, I think the biggest thing hurting Mayo right now is his age, 34. He hasn't been coaching that long. I think he's behind the eight ball from some of these young hotshots who have been in a system coaching and learning all these various intricacies for 10 years. And I think former quarterbacks have the leg up on jobs. Mayo very well may get one someday and very well deserves it. And Vrabel has proved that a non-quarterback can be a head coach in today's NFL. But in this offensive first league, in this pass-happy league, I think a quarterback does have a leg up. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, we just spoke with Tom Brennan, former UVM men's basketball coach, and we do it every single Tuesday at about 540. If you missed any of the interview, check it out on the podcast. And UVM swept Maine this week, and they destroyed them, right? They beat them by 40 on day one and held them to just 30 points. They beat them by 25 the next day, and they they crushed them again. And I kind of asked Coach, I said, hey, well, listen to Coach's answer. I mean, I never got fired, but by the same token – uh, I never had anybody like rush up to me and say, "All right, listen, man, we we got a lot of potential here. We really do." So, Brennan says, "I never got fired at UVM, but I never had anybody really there to go to bat for me in the administration." And the reason why I asked that is because I asked Coach Brennan, "I go, why can a team like Maine not win? Are there places where you just simply can't win?" And he said, "For a while, that was us at UVM. You could not win here." They liked me. They kept me around. They didn't put a lot of pressure on me, and they didn't really give me any support. I was just kind of there, and I got to thinking about the the ability to win or the lack of ability to win in various places. I truly do think you can win everywhere, but I understand and recognize just how hard that is. Like I think Maine has a lot working against it. It's far from everywhere. It's cold as hell. The money resources, the facilities resources, I'm sure, are being given to the men and women's hockey program. The key to any college program is recruiting. And recruiting is really, really hard and really, really tedious, especially when you have those things working against you. As a coach, you have to find your thing, find your niche and then play to that over and over again in recruiting. Let me give you an example. I coached for one year at Norwich Baseball. And Norwich Baseball, the year before I got there, was 4-33. and I was not the head coach. I was an assistant, a low-level assistant at that. We were 4-33 and the year before I got there. And the school was all about hockey. It was all about football. Baseball, we didn't even have a fence. Had an awful field. Dugouts were you know 100 years old. No recruiting budget. I mean, it was a bad situation. But we realized, even in the one year that I was there, that when you went to recruiting, you had to lean into the military aspect of the school. All the other teams wanted to run away from that. The military kids, they had other commitments. They had more important things to do than play baseball or play soccer or whatever, and they were unavailable. So coaches tried to recruit civilians. And Norwich is a hard place to recruit civilians to. Baseball program, we decided, you know what? No, this is our calling card. We're not going to out-recruit Boston for Boston kids. We're not bringing some Boston kid that's really good to play in Northfield. It's just not going to happen. 
So we leaned into the military aspect, and we said instead of trying to recruit against every school in the country, we're going to recruit against five. Army, Navy, VMI, the Citadel, the Coast Guard. You know, So we're talking about like seven schools eventually that are military schools that you're going to go against. SUNY, uh, Maritime. Like We're going to go against these schools. And eventually, the recruiting took off to the point where the program has gotten a lot better. Still not the best, but they've leaned into the strength of the school, and that is very, very important. I coached for, for two years at Hudson Valley Community College just outside of Albany, and the biggest strength that we had there was the school was affordable. It was a junior college, very affordable, and we played in a minor league stadium. The Tri-City Valley Cats played in the same stadium as us. So I was able to sit down with recruits and instantly sell the price of the school. Hey, you can go do 48000 a year to do business at, at Clarkson, or you can do 4000 a year to do business here. And that was a pretty good conversation starter. And I also played to the stadium and said, hey, man, you're going to play. You're going to hit in a batter's box where Jose Altuve, an American League MVP and batting champion, hit. You're going to hit in a, in a box where George Springer, a World Series champion, hit. You're going to pitch on a mound where Dallas Keuchel, an American League Cy Young winner, pitched. And that was a powerful tool. You've got to find what your recruiting niche is, and you've got to play to it. I, I'm not saying it's easy. But for a school like Maine, you've got to figure out, like, where is your thing? Because you should not be this bad. I mean, Maine is you know, consistently the number eight seed in the America East Tournament. And now with UMass Lowell eligible for postseason play and NJIT there, you know, who knows if they'll even get into the big field of the America East Tournament. And they're two and seven right now in the year and two and six inside league play. They're never any good. You've got to figure out what your thing is. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, we do it every single day. Let's get to who's saying what. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What did he say? I think Julian Edelman is cashed. I think he's done. I, I think we're done seeing him as the Julian Edelman that we know and love. They really said that? The Patriots right now, they are the Jets. They have no quarterback play. It's time for who's saying what on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, who's saying what? Mike Greenberg of ESPN talking about Deshaun Watson, quarterback for the Houston Texans, and why he is so mad at the organization. This is a franchise that traded away DeAndre Hopkins, who was first-team All-Pro three straight seasons with Watson. He promptly went to Arizona and caught 115 balls this year. Now the Texans have very little opportunity to add talent. They don't draft until the third round this spring because they traded two ones and a two to Miami for Laramie Tunsil. Okay, I love Mike Greenberg, but that isn't even close to true. Mike Greenberg is one of the most influential radio hosts of all time. That is not even close to true. Deshaun Watson signed his new deal in Houston in September, several months after the trade of DeAndre Hopkins and more than a year after the trade of all the draft picks for Laramie Tunsil. Okay, like so Deshaun Watson signed a long-term extension in Houston after the fact of all those other things happening. It wasn't like he signed on and then got screwed where they traded everybody away. That's not the case. They traded the draft picks for Tunzel more than a year prior, and they traded Watson or uh, Watkins. I'm sorry, Hopkins several months 
prior, and he still signed there. So he knew what he was getting into. And by the way, Deshaun Watson's been sacked the most in the NFL two of the last three years. He'd probably like more draft picks traded for more Laramie Tunzels. Watson isn't upset because of the trade. He might not like how the trades have panned out right now, but he signed there knowing those things had happened. So he's got to deal with that. He's upset because he feels like he was lied to. He's upset because a long-term contract to him is a commitment that he and the organization would grow together, and he feels like he's been left out of the conversation when it came to hiring Nick Casario or when it came to recommendations for the next head coach of the franchise. That's why he's upset. Okay, Players don't love when X is traded or Y is released, but they get over that pretty quickly. And We see teams go worst to first all the time in the NFL. A 4-12 season today could be a 12-4 season tomorrow. You can turn something around in one year and overcome the loss of a wide receiver. What you can't overcome is the feeling of betrayal, and that's kind of where Watson is at. Not kind of. That's where he's at right now. There's also a report out there that, while not his biggest issue, Watson is unhappy with the Texans' handling of social justice issues. And Chris Mortensen of ESPN had the report and said, look, he doesn't like it, but that is not the biggest issue. I'm glad to hear that's not the primary factor because if an organization's political leanings or social bents matter that much, that's 100% fine. Watson has every right to be upset at how his organization feels. But the two teams he's most connected to are the Dolphins and the Jets, and Woody Johnson, the owner of the Jets, is in Donald Trump's, you know, he's Donald Trump's ambassador to the UK, and Stephen Ross in Miami is a 40-year friend of, of the president who had a fundraiser for him, you know, before, I think in 2019, don't quote me on that, but like recently within the last year and a half, Stephen Ross is having President Trump fundraisers for his campaign effort. So yeah, it would have been probably in 2019. Um, so, you know, if you're trying to break away, if you think the Texans have a certain bend or ideology or whatever, and you think that that's affiliated with the president, as several people do, then the Jets and Dolphins also are in the conversation, same conversation as the president. So I'm glad that that doesn't appear to be the biggest issue because that would be a contradiction. So, uh, as a side note, by the way, I would hate to see Watson go to the Jets or Dolphins. It would make both teams, either team, significantly better and will make life much harder on the Patriots. I mean, it put the Pats at third or fourth in the division for the foreseeable future. Buffalo's there to stay for at least the next couple of years, and whichever one of those teams gets Watson, if they do, would be significantly better than the Patriots, I'd say, as well. I don't think the Pats can get into the mix. They don't have the first-round picks of the caliber it would take to get Houston. They don't have the right players it would take to give Houston, like, did the Texans have interest in J.C. Jackson and the restricted free agent tender he comes with? Do they have interest in, in Damian Harris? I, the Pats have two top 100 picks this year. It's not enough. The Jets have five first-round picks in the next three years. Miami is loaded with picks as well. So, I mean, and Nick Casario can't get that job and then trade Deshaun Watson to his old team. Optically alone, fan-wise alone, it would be a horrible decision. I mean... The Jets and Dolphins have the most to give, but if I were Casario, I'd really be trying to get him out of the AFC entirely. The last thing I'm going to do is send him to Miami and have to see him in the playoffs some year, and he prevents you from winning a Super Bowl. I mean, Chicago could use a quarterback. Washington could use a quarterback. Those are teams that I would be calling if I could. I mean, heck, if you you know 
Yeah, you can't do it to Dallas either. I don't know what's going to happen with Dak, but you can't do it with Dallas because of uh, how everything will land with Texans fans if you send them in-state to Dallas. So it's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. The notes on the Red Sox. The asking price for Andrew Benatendi is out. I am in complete agreement. Hein Bloom can make this deal if it was up to me. I've given it the approval. Andrew Benintendi for this, I'm in. That's next. Brady Farkas Show on WDEV. Get in touch with the Brady Farkas Show 24-7 by texting into the interactive text line at 802-585-3026. Listen to the Brady Farkas Show weekdays from 530 to 7 right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. This is Field Yates of ESPN, and you're listening to The Brady Farkas Show on WDEV Radio and the WDEV app. Thank you, Field. Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. You heard that uh, last promo before uh, I came back here, and it featured Governor Phil Scott. Governor Phil Scott and state officials are in quarantine right now. This is news that came out within the last 40 minutes. So Governor Phil Scott in quarantine after a possible exposure to COVID-19. Governor's office said that uh, today a contractor involved in the coronavirus briefings, which we aired on Friday, and then today one of those contractors involved had tested positive. Phil Scott, uh, Department of Health Commissioner Mark Levine, and other administrative officials are quarantining and will be tested, and uh, will be the governor will be working remotely as well. So we'll have more on that in the morning news service. We come back with sports here on the Brady Farkas Show. Some notes on the Red Sox, and the asking price is now out there for Sox outfielder Andrew Benatendi, who we heard was going to be traded, then he might not be traded. Now he might be traded again. Rob Bradford of WEEI says that the asking price is a younger corner outfielder along with a minor league pitcher. This seems absolutely fair to me. I am absolutely okay with this deal. Ben Attendee has two years left on his deal. He's 25 years old. Ben Attendee is good. And I think Ben Attendee has the ability to be good. I think that Ben Attendee's most, his best value right now is to the Red Sox. And I've said that many, uh, many times because of his ability to maybe turn his career around again and then be trade bait later at the deadline. But if they can get a younger major league outfielder and a pitcher, I would do the deal, I would do the deal today. This is more than I was expecting. If they can get this, like I was thinking, oh, we'll get two minor league pitchers for Ben Attendee. If you can get a major league outfielder who is younger and a pitcher, I'm in. And that's okay. You're going to hear this phrase a lot when it comes to the Red Sox and High and Bloom. Team control. Andrew Ben Attendee has two years left of team control. Two years left on his contract before you got to pay him. And while well, the Red Sox certainly have enough money to pay people, I mean, you um, still want to be cost-effective. And Ben Attendee, by the way, might leave in free agency after those two years. So if they can get a major league outfielder who is as good or could be better than Ben Attendee and have him for four or five years and then get a wild-card pitcher, I'm, I'm in on that. As for teams that might be interested in Ben Attendee, Houston Astros are mentioned they make a ton of sense. They, they're trying to win a World Series. And they've gotten worse. Justin Verlander's hurt. George Springer's probably gone. So the Astros have gotten worse, but they're still trying to capitalize on a World Series window. If Ben Attendee can help them do that, then they should be interested. 
The Oakland A's are always looking for cheap talent, and Benintendi's basically got two years, $16 million left. They're trying to win a World Series. Those teams should be interested. The Cincinnati Reds, maybe they made a you know made the playoffs last year. They could be interested potentially down the line. Benintendi is from Cincinnati. These other teams I've seen, like the Pirates and the Rangers, they make zero sense because those teams are awful. Why would they trade? You know, why would they try to get two years of Andrew Benintendi? That doesn't make any sense to me. But uh, if you can get a corner outfielder who's young and has multiple years of team control more than Ben Ben Attendee and a pitcher, I would do it. Other news and note that we heard came from Buster Olney of ESPN who says that the Red Sox are, quote, expected to be deliberate in bringing Chris Sale back to action. He underwent Tommy John surgery at the end of last March. He could return late June, early July, but... You know, the Red Sox are going to slow play this with Sale. They say because he's under contract through 2024, they're apt to take a conservative approach. This also makes perfect sense. It's it's perfectly in line with what I've been telling you. The Red Sox will not be a very competitive team this year. Look at what the Mets are doing with Noah Syndergaard. Syndergaard is a free agent at the end of this year. They're trying to win the World Series. He also had Tommy John surgery in March, and they're like, Let's get back. We want to get some return on investment. We want to win the World Series. We want to capitalize. The Red Sox, they're like, look, we're not going to be that good this year. We don't need to rush Sale back. We've got him for four more years, this year and three more. So if we can, last year was a wasted year for him. This year is going to be a mostly wasted year. But if we can turn the last three of these five years into something pretty good, then it will be a lot better. There's no need to rush Chris Sale back. I want to see him pitch so he can get back on the mound this season and get some feel, but I'm not like, oh, let's get him back by May 1st so we can you know, keep up with fourth place in the division. If he comes back in August and gets back on the mound and throws 20 innings this year, that's going to be a success for me just to see him on the mound going back in to 2022. It's Brady Farkas show right here on WDEV. Now we do it every single day. Let's get to crazy Twitter takes. The internet, it's a really weird place. Where'd you hear that? The internet. And you believed it? Yeah. They can't put anything on the internet that isn't true. Where'd you hear that? The The internet. internet. It's time for crazy Twitter takes on the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Doesn't anyone notice this? I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. Crazy Twitter takes right here on this Tuesday comes from Kurt Warner, former NFL quarterback and NFL MVP and Super Bowl champion, who said all playoff games should be played indoors. Can we just play every playoff game inside? I know that's all. moments of the season, right. the biggest moments of our career, career, and now the elements become a part of the mix. I want the best team to be able to advance. All the elements be exactly the same for every team, but we'll talk about that later. Should playoff games be played indoors so that Kurt Warner says the best teams can show out and that elements aren't a factor? 802-585-3026. This is ludicrous to me. Football has always been intertwined with weather dating back to the inception of the game. We romanticize the weather. The snow game, the ice bowl, the uh, Venetari's kick through the snow. We romanticize bad weather 
in the NFL, and we always have. It has always been a part of the story. Dane in Rochester basically says, yeah, Warner, nuts. No, you should not be doing this. I'm with you, Dane. You're right. Okay, And games impact the regular season all the time. Like Regular season games are always impacted by weather, and in some cases, it can alter the outcomes and standings and seedings. I can't get away from that same impact in the playoffs. Like We saw Cleveland lose to Vegas this year in a complete windstorm. If the Browns win that game, in theory, they win 12 games and win the AFC North, but they lost that game. If they win that game, they win 12 games, they win the AFC North, they get a home game, they have different opponents in the playoffs, and you know who knows? But the weather affected that. We saw New England last year. They beat Cleveland and Dallas in driving rainstorms. If those games are played in perfect conditions, maybe the Patriots lose, and the Patriots... You know, the Patriots ended up last year with the three seed in the playoffs, but they, they could have lose, lost those games and lost the division to Buffalo. Weather is always an impact. And teams use use the weather to their advantage. Like, the Patriots lost to Jacksonville a couple of years ago. It was like 98 degrees. Jack, Jacksonville had an advantage playing in the weather. Every year we see somebody say, Hey, you don't want to go to Buffalo in December. Hey, you don't want to go to Miami in December. Well, there's always part of the conversation. Always has been. You play all year to gain an advantage in the playoffs. That advantage comes in the form of playing in front of your fans, in front of not needing to travel, and to play in weather where your team was built to succeed. Okay, Warner's Rams were the greatest show on turf. They were built to play indoors. Get the number one seed. Play indoors, use your speed. When Atlanta made the Super Bowl a couple of years ago, play indoors, be a top seed, run rampant. Seattle, when the Super Bowl, built to play nasty, tough, outdoor games. That's how it was. I, I do not feel bad for you. If, you. if you play in a dome, get the number one seed. If you play in a warm weather place, get the number one seed. The weather is always part of the conversation. It always has been. I understand you don't want the elements to decide games, but if you want the advantages, then earn them. You know, he's he's talking about Baltimore losing in Buffalo in the wind-blown conditions. If you don't want to play in Buffalo in January, get the get the better seed. Play better for 16 games over the regular season. It's a Brady Farkas show, WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Also, let's act let's not act like Buffalo wasn't affected too. They also missed a kick. They can't run the football. The wind makes it harder to pass, and that's what Buffalo does best. They still found a way to put up 17 points and win. All right, when we come back, hot seat of the week, men in sports, message to you, be better. That's next. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, welcome back. Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEV Radio. Dot com. We do it every single Tuesday. Time for Hot Seat of the Week. Hot Seat of the Week. Hot Seat of the Week is men in general. I mean, this Jared Porter story is really, really disturbing. And Jared Porter is the now former general manager of the New York Mets. Um, he was hitting on, flirting with, and then eventually it seemed like stalking a former um journalist covering Major League Baseball and he sent her 
60 text messages at one point that went unwanted, sent her vulgar text messages that including that included pictures of um, inappropriate imagery. It's a gross story. I am extremely regretful that women in sports, that women in media, that women in general have to deal with garbage like this. It's hard enough. It's hard enough to be in sports media, right? Like it's hard for me to be in sports media just because it's a hard field. It's a competitive field and you're all fighting for access and it's it's hard. To be a woman in this field in a male dominated field where you are objectified and treated like this is is much, much harder. And scary, I'm sure, for them. I don't want to speak for them, but I'm sure that there's some fear that goes along with that. And it's disgusting what Jared Porter did. He's been fired by the New York Mets after this story came to light. Um, just on the hot seat is just men. We need to be better. Like, Jared Porter, you when you send 60 unresponded to text messages, get the point, give up, and never send those lewd messages that you sent. Ever. Okay? I mean, look, these messages were not simply, hey, would you like to get a drink sometime? They started there, and they moved to in the creepy and inappropriate territory. It, it, if you read the story at ESPN, it was disgusting. So men are on the hot seat. We need to be better in media. We need to be better in life. And uh, the women in the world do not deserve that. So there you go. There's my preaching for the day. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, let's get to closing thoughts. Closing thoughts. Closing time. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. All right, closing thoughts here on the Brady Farkas Show. On WDEV. Remember, you can subscribe to the full show podcast thanks to Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber. You can do it at Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Drew Brees may retire for the New Orleans Saints. Let's not act like Cam Newton should be his replacement in New Orleans. With where the Saints are, Cam doesn't make any sense for them. Jacob Crane, who uh, covers you know really all things sports, he was on our show yesterday. And he thinks that Cam would be a good fit in New Orleans. What what Cam Newton gives a guy like Sean Payton is another answer in the red zone because you can't account for the quarterback in the run game if you really use him right. That's how we got the birth of you know Power Reed and Q Power and Wildcat and all and all that stuff with the quarterback. But uh, I, I just I think it'd be a good fit. I think the weapons around him. You put Cam Newton with Alvin Kamara, the zone read gets weird again. The Saints are a team that should be able to win a Super Bowl. Cam Newton is not the quarterback of a Super Bowl aspiring team. The Saints have a lot of money invested in Alvin Kamara, Michael Thomas. They've spent high draft capital on really good players like Marshawn Lattimore and Ryan Ramchick. The Saints are built now to win a Super Bowl. Cam Newton at this point is a reclamation project. If he's a starter, he's a starter on a bad team or a rebuilding team. Like the Patriots. That is why his agent should be calling the Patriots. They're his best chance. They're the best situation for him. The Saints already have a guy like Cam Newton. His name is Taysom Hill. I don't love Taysom Hill. But we already got a guy with questionable accuracy who's 30 years old, 
who can run, who can do the power running stuff. They already have a slightly better version of Cam who's been in their system now for a couple of years. I mean, if Cam was going to go to New Orleans, maybe being around Sean Payton would help him in the way it was good for Teddy Bridgewater and maybe it is for Jameis Winston. But Cam isn't the guy right now to learn on the job and take you to the Super Bowl. So this thought that, oh, Cam can go be in New Orleans, the Saints are trying to win it all. Cam's not there. Cam is too broken right now to take a team to a Super Bowl. He's better served with the Patriots. And if I were New Orleans, I would be very careful about wanting Drew Brees to retire. I'd be very careful about that. The New Orleans Saints got the number two seed in the playoffs. They've had home games in the playoffs each of the last three years. So even though we think Breeze is diminished, the team has been good enough to achieve some special things. They won the NFC South, and they were the number two seed. Are you confident that you can replace Drew Breeze with somebody who can achieve better than that? Because if you're if you're trying to be better than what Breeze has been, you're trying to win the Super Bowl. Is Jimmy Garoppolo better than Drew Brees right now? I'm not ready to say that. Is Matthew Stafford better than Drew Brees right now? I would say that there's a chance of that, that he has a higher upside, but going to cost a lot to get him in terms of draft capital and money. Is Mitch Trubisky better? No. Is Cam better? No. You're not picking high enough in the draft to go and get an impact player like Trevor Lawrence, and even he next year would not be better than Drew Brees next year. I mean, so be careful what you wish for if you're New Orleans. I understand you think that Breeze might not be able to take you to the Super Bowl, but is somebody else out there who's better that would be able to take you to the Super Bowl? I'm not convinced of that at all, and it's definitely not Cam Newton. All right, full show podcast, Apple Podcast, Spotify, and at WDEVradio.com. Appreciate everybody. And as always, text line is always open, 802 585 3026. If you missed any of our interview with Tom Brennan, go check it out. Got a couple of messages on it already. He said, Brady, my only issue with the interview with Brennan, I wish it were longer. So uh, come in tomorrow. Freddie Coleman of ESPN Radio will be with us. Remember, on the station tomorrow, we got some programming juggling because of Joe Biden's inauguration of the presidency. That's going to start with coverage at 11 a.m. So I'll be back tomorrow with the afternoon news service, traditional time, 4 to 5.30, and the Brady Farkas Show from 5.30 until 7. Until then, everybody, have a great night. Stay safe, and I will see you tomorrow right here on the Friendly Pioneer of WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com.